and he tells a story about in the early days they were all sitting around a warehouse putting boxes into it he looked at the guy next to him and said maybe we should get those padded gardener things for our knees and the guy just said as an offhand comment or we could just get some tables and stand up and he he was like i'm looking at this whole room of everybody on their knees because i am on my knees and i think that's that empowerment too of being like it kind of goes back to what am i not asking This is the Beats Working Show. We're on a mission to redeem work, the word, the place, and the way. I'm your host, Mark Wright. Join us at Winning the Game of Work. Welcome to our very first edition of Contributors Corner on the Beats Working Podcast. Each month, we gather past guests and do a deep dive on a concept or guest we've had on the show. The goal is to uncover new takeaways and learning we can all use to redeem work, to make work better for everyone. So this month, we're going deep on servant leadership. And if you haven't heard the original episode with former Starbucks president Howard Bihar, it is definitely worth a listen. It dropped on May 22nd of this year, 2023. Our contributors this month are Jeff Koss, owner of Koss Tailored, which is a manufacturing company north of Seattle. Andre Brisson, host of the Impulsive Thinker podcast, and Kristen Graham, founder of Unlock the Brain and host of the Fewer Things Better podcast. We cover what servant leadership looks like in various industries and also the things we can all do to become better servant leaders. But what I think is most striking about our conversation is how rare true servant leaders are. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff, Andre, and Kristen. Well, welcome to Contributors Corner. This is our first episode. I've got three amazing people who've already been on the Beats Working podcast. We have uh, Kristen Graham, we have Jeff Koss, and we have Andre Brisson. It's great to have the three of you with us. Thank you great very much. to have you here. Great to be here. Yay. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to put you guys right on the spot. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, so for our listening audience, if they haven't heard your episodes... I want you guys to tell us who you are and what you do. What's your thing? So, Jeff, let's start with you. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, I'm Jeff Kost. Uh, I run a small company in the northwest part of the United States, uh, Mukilteo, to be specific. Uh, we grow people, uh, happen to build furniture and airplane parts, and help other organizations think through maybe uh, aligning their work to their mission uh, together. So, yeah, work with about awesome. 180 people here. Kristen. Hi, everybody. I'm Kristen. I spent a couple decades in corporate and now I'm doing my own thing where I have the intersection of brain science and psychology. And I'm a speaker and a facilitator. And I try to help people figure out how to do fewer things better. And I'm a student of it myself. Awesome. Andre. Uh, my name is Andre Brisson, the impulsive thinker. I'm an entrepreneur with a skill in engineering. So I do have a structural engineering firm. And Also, just uh, got my own podcast and starting to help high-achieving ADHD entrepreneurs understand that they they are not broken, just wired differently. They have special skills. Well, it's so great to have the three of you here. Um, I just have to say, I've I've listened back to uh, the episodes that we all did together, and I'm just uh, amazed at the wisdom that the three of you have. And the purpose of Contributors Corner, really, is just to give some new perspectives to an idea that we have had on a previous episode of the Beats Working Podcast. So the episode that we're going to break down today, or the concept that we're going to break down today, is the concept of servant leadership. So uh, if those of you listening haven't uh, listened to the episode featuring former Starbucks president Howard Bihar, it's a fantastic episode, and Howard has dedicated his life and his career to being a servant leader. So we are going to explore what that means from the perspective of these three folks, and also I'm going to chime in as well. So what I'd love to, um, before we get into the nuts and bolts of you know what, what Howard suggests, when we just talk about the idea of servant leadership, it made me start to think about some of the bosses that I've had in the past who were just amazing servant leaders. And I don't even know if they would call themselves servant leaders. But what I'd love to do uh, would be to go around the group and just ask to give me an example of a boss or a person that you knew who was an amazing servant leader and, uh, you know, what what that was like. So, um, Andre, 
why don't you start first? Was, was there anybody back in your career that you were like, wow, that, that person's amazing? You know, honestly, I don't think so. Like, I've been unemployable <laughs> since uh, I was a kid. Um, <laughs> for me, I like, I'm just, as we start and talk here, like, I think I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I just never realized it till a lot later. And would servant leadership help me? I don't know. Is it for everyone else? I do believe. But the thing, I, the closest I could think of was like the, I was working at a restaurant, and he was very open to new ideas on how to improve efficiency in the kitchen. That's where I was at. Um, and as long as you did your job, they kind of left you alone. Um, so I think that would be yeah. The restaurant would probably be the best example. Uh, but if I went too far, then I was no no longer cooperative, is what I was also told. <laughs> But this one, I kind of this discussion with him. I I get the theory, I understand the logic, but for me to work under a servant leader, I don't know if it would jive with me. It's almost as if it's micro. I don't know. It just seems like an odd concept that makes valid theoretical uh, understand. It makes sense, but uh, I'm having a I'm struggling here. I don't know why. To be honest, well, I think that's a good place. Yeah. I think that's a good place to begin. Um, we'll come yeah, back to that. Please. And the idea of empowering your people—that's something we're going to break down. Howard has a yeah. concept that he says, you know, if the person who sweeps the floor should should buy the broom, and uh, that's that's a, one of his examples of of really empowering employees uh, to let them do their thing, and for the managers to get out of the way. Um, Kristen, what about you? Any examples of, of great servant leaders in your past? Yeah, I, I had a similar reaction at first as Andre in terms of I have a whole long list of things I can tell you, things I learned from people who didn't lead very well. <laughs> but one of the things, Andre, when you were talking that struck me is sometimes servant leadership doesn't look like servitude in the moment. And whether that's tough feedback or opportunities where you've gotten right. nudged forward. So what I reflected on was um, I've... Early in my career, I was doing a lot of communications work and I was supporting executives. I was there to make them look and sound good. And I had just come back from maternity leave. I was working at a large consulting company from maternity leave with my second child. And I was supporting the COO of a company and she invited me to come to her weekly leadership team meeting. And I thought, well, that's great. She's giving me exposure and I would just go and I would observe and thinking how nice that she's letting me see how leaders think. And one day in the hall afterwards, and you know, I'm, I'm still back, still a new parent, upside down, didn't really trust myself to have anything articulate to say, but I was just glad to watch the conversation. And in the hallway, she stopped me and said, hey, Kristen, this isn't dinner theater. You don't get to come and watch. If you're in a room, have something to say or don't be in the room. And wow, I... Whoa didn't realize at the time that she wasn't giving me an opportunity. She just held open the door. And so I never connected those two as servant leadership and it wasn't sponsorship or you're here to take notes, kitten. It was more like if you're on the field, play the game. Wow. That's an interesting story. That's very cool. Jeff, what about you? I know that uh, in, you know, when we did our interview, you talked about how, you and your dad, uh, you learned a lot from your dad. You fought a lot with your dad as well. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what, what comes to mind when it comes to servant leadership with you, Jeff? Well, the examples. So you think about examples. Um, it's, it's hard to use my dad just because I was such a crappy kid to him. But uh, there's two, two examples that are kind of more in the public domain that I just I almost fell over when I really learned the truth of the story. Uh, uh, one is uh, Blake Nordstrom. He passed away a few years back. But every single person, I was uh, doing a little bit of work at Nordstrom at the time, um, and every single person who met him had a story that was better than what was in the public domain. He had a very other focus and a very like curious nature, and um, they were cared for by him. So I was blown away by like you know there's the the stories you hear, but then I mean I probably heard. 20, 30 examples of he knew my name. He remembered our last conversation. He remembered the thing that we were doing to make life better. Um, so when you ask the question of who, uh, I didn't work for him, but uh, they were our customer. And therefore, I kind of did. 
And that did permeate all the way through to their supply chain base. Um, the other that came to mind just when you mentioned it was uh, DJ Dupree, uh, founder of, uh, of Herman Miller. Um, I went for a tour of this factory and these people are like, DJ taught us this, DJ taught us that. And I'm sitting there going, I'd like to meet DJ. And they looked at me like, DJ has been dead for a long time. I'm like, are you kidding me? This man is still serving you? So I think when I think of servant leadership, I did. I, I, literally, the, the moment I walked out of that factory, I called my dad. I'm like, this dude is still stirring dirt. Not only was he a servant leader while he was alive in the today, in the moment, um, in the, the other focused conversations, that guy is still blessing people through his service because he left behind a system of service. So those are the two that came to mind of examples. Yeah. Yeah, I think when when I think about servant leadership, I think about one of the hallmarks in my mind of a great servant leader is the person who doesn't necessarily have to verbalize everything that they're trying to get their employees to do or think. Um, I think a great servant leader just rolls up their sleeves and does it. Um, you know, I came from an industry 35 years in television, and it's a very, you know, still kind of draconian it's getting better but you know there were times way back in the day when yelling at someone in a newsroom was perfectly acceptable and you know berating someone in the newsroom was perfectly acceptable and uh, I think back when I was in Salt Lake City for about four or five years earlier in my career we had a general manager and his name was Duffy Dyer and uh, we had an open set so the set was here and the newsroom was in the background and the more we did the morning show you know like a four-hour morning show and, you know, about six, six in the morning, Duffy would show up and I would look over and there was a little break room over there, a little coffee station. Duffy always was wiping down the counters. He was picking up trash, um, just making the station look nice. And here's here's the guy who's the general manager, the very top manager of this station. And another thing that Duffy did was every summer from Memorial Day to Labor Day, Duffy would go on Fridays, he would go and get hamburgers and hot dogs and, and supplies from Costco. And he would fire up the barbecue and he would cook lunch for all of us every Friday for the whole summer. And he would require his department heads to to make a side dish and to not only make a side dish, but to actually stand by their side dish and serve us as, wow. as we came through the line. So every Friday for the whole summer, we had this amazing example of our bosses serving us lunch. And that made such a huge uh, impact on me because he wasn't just telling his, you know, his staff, hey, you know, serve, serve your people. He, they literally served us. And it was just such a, I, I really, I, to this day, I just have a fondness for, for that guy because in, in what could have been a pretty brutal industry, he was just a really, just a beam, beam of really light cool. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Andre. Yeah, like, so Kristen's story and Jess just really, it clicked for me. I think you're right, Kristen. It's, it's almost a quiet leadership. People that gave me the opportunities without saying it is. Um, I went straight to a boss. But what Jeff and Kristen were saying, I can actually relate to a couple work terms in my university or college career. They weren't bosses, but they were in the department that gave me the opportunity or just quietly nudged me to stop being too out there or if you want to try something, here you are. Um, so it's not only in a, in a supervisor role, I think people can do it. It's also at arm's length or a coworker, or even if I, the first thing after Kristen was finished her store, I thought of two family friends. I remember this one time I was in planes and rockets and the neighbor had model airplanes and I hung out with them and they let me help them build them. And then one day he said, do you want to try flying them? I said, yeah, I took it and I crashed it right away nosedive whoops oh, well you learn what not to do next time let's go back and fix it is all they said and we fixed it and and we learned from it so i think that's another example of the servant leadership and based on what jeff was saying like you know helping without being there i think is your, like it's a legacy type of thing system of service i think there's a nice frame framework to follow on mm-hmm. that and like kristen said quiet leadership yeah that's cool so let's get into this idea of the person who sweeps the floor should buy the broom. Because, you know, in, in Howard Bihar's example, you know, when you start to get a company with 15,000, now, you know, 25,000 stores or whatever they have now, you can't run everything yourself and you can't control everything yourself. You really have to just empower people and let it go. 
Jeff, in your exam, in your, you know, you talked in your episode with us about how you and your dad went to Japan in the 90s and studied the Toyota production model. I'd love to know from you, did that model explicitly have like a servant leadership chapter or or basis or how how did servant leadership you know how did that fit in with the Toyota production model yeah um, I wouldn't have noticed it at the time so but looking looking back um, you would hear things um, like they'd almost be offended by the questions we would ask we'd be noticing the shiny things and they'd be like but what about the thinking Um, and they would say things like you know, uh, if we don't take care of the next generation, nobody will. And and then the entire system is set up so that if you're working on a car there um, and you have a problem, there's a there's a you can just reach over and pull a, a, a cord and a boss comes running over. That's that's his job to run over. And if that guy's stuck, he pulls the different one and another boss runs over. And I watched this over and over and over again. So in that very way, they had systematized the idea of uh, your problem when you identify it. So the, the, that person on the front line um, really just has to say, I think there's a problem. And then they pull the cord. And there's somebody to come alongside them to say, is it really a problem, yes or no? And if it is a problem, they pull it and say, hey, next boss, come help us fix it. So there are lots of clues along the way. That uh, that this was uh, a system built on you know service and in in my view, um, it's very loving to help. So the the if I think of like what the world needs more of, maybe love and respect, something along those lines, the system of flow is very loving. You're never stuck in that system so long as you use the system. So yeah, it was there. Um, I didn't get it, and uh, probably I'm still missing like ninety percent of it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Kristen, in your, you know, you've worked for some really big tech companies. Um, was this concept of, of employee empowerment, you know, the person sweeping the floor should buy the broom, do you think that's pretty well embraced uh, by, by some of the larger companies in America? And do you have examples of I that? I think it can be, but I think there's an inherent um, element of resistance. I, I love, Jeff, how you said that about it being loving. Loving's not... That's not a sentiment, at least in early cultural formations. And people kind of follow the unwritten and unspoken norms. And that becomes part of the issue with culture. And as you both were talking, I was reflecting on, and I used to be a journalist and I used to write for and help executives communicate. So when I became a baby executive, I knew because I had watched it that people only answer what they're asked. And you can't as a leader, you can't know what you don't know. And there's this whole knowledge gap of what people aren't telling you. And so I love what Andre said earlier about being the the, the truth teller and being the one who brings those voices forward. And so one of the elements, I think of servant leadership, when I got put into a position, which I was not qualified for, but I had a leadership title, I stopped hearing things. I went from being kind of the voice of the people to Mm -hmm. a title. And my knowledge got increasingly more narrow. And it's very easy to get drunk on your own knowledge. And so when I was going around, I was the first big job I was wildly underqualified for, besides parenting, was uh, leading this giant recruiting function. And I went to a lot of the frontline individuals. And instead of telling them what I knew, which was nothing, I had two questions at the end. And I said, what don't I know? Because... We've all been in the rooms. We're like, this person doesn't know a thing. I'm just going to sit here and watch and eat my popcorn. But what don't I know? That really kind of brings forward. And then the other question I would say is, what am I not asking? And those two pieces helped uncover things that I would have never had access to or an understanding to dig into further. And if you're willing to show your ignorance, you will get so much more knowledge as a result but it takes courage to listen and not speak. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really good stuff, Kristen. Andre, I wanted to ask you, you come from an engineering background, an engineering world. Yeah, sorry about that. And engineers, <laughs> engineers help build stuff. And I'm just imagining on work sites, that's sort of a macho setting, right? And I'm, I'm wondering, is it, is it, possible in that sort of world 
to, to be a servant leader or what, what might that look like? I mean, part of, you know, what we talked about is empowering employees to really let them come up with creative ideas. But as you and I have talked about in the past, there's, there's a line where it's like, wow, that's a crazy idea and you're wasting my time. Um, yep. T- tell me more about but that. But there's a difference between allowing employees to have ideas versus executing them, right? What Jeff and Kristen mm-hmm. were saying, and it kept coming in my mind, was ego, right? Toyota. What they actually did was removed ego from the hierarchy of authority. The boss is there to help the worker. The boss's boss is there to help the worker, and it's okay to say, I don't know. And what Kristen was saying, that you know, ego comes with a title, and I like how you say you get drunk on your own knowledge and then you become, you have to be that person. The authority, for some reason, misunderstood as I have the experience and the knowledge, therefore you must listen. And I will not listen to your ideas. So allowing people to come up with ideas has the communication we're hearing. And if it works, great. If not, sorry. So I think there's a, there's a subtle difference there. And yes, construction sites are very bravado, uh, I forget the term used, macho, which is to mm-hmm. me still ego. Um, I've seen a lot of construction supers where are very egotistical and very controlling and demanding, while others are like, how can we make this work? I hired you for your skills. What do we need to do? That works. No, that doesn't work. That works. It meets the schedule. Let's do it. And then those are the better sites to work on because things are flowing better. And I've never really, con- you know, the term servant leadership, I guess, I'm kind of doing it in a way because I do give people the freedom to come up with ideas to call BS on me or to remind me that I'm contradicting myself. Um, and I, it's okay, but that's not everywhere. And it's, and then like, I'm like Jeff, I was like, you know, loving to help that can only be done if you remove the ego from it and be authentic, which falls into Kristen's point. It, it just comes down to ego. If I'm going to be the boss and march around, <laughs> You know, yeah. I think it, we got to take the ego out of it. And from, uh, was it Bihar? I keep like Howard's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Howard Bihar, yeah. He was kind of like a little bit like me. I really don't care who's, I, for an engineer, this is odd to say on a construction site. I don't care whose idea it is as long as it works. We'll make it happen. And that's what I got mm-hmm. from his story is I can't come up with the ideas. I can help coordinate them. Or if I can get the right people at the table to get this solved. I think that's another way of doing it. I don't care if I'm the superstar because I came up with the idea. It's like one person I was telling you, no one cares that if you came up with the idea or not. You just help them get there, and they think you came up with the idea. Yeah, that's so true. And if you haven't, those of you listening, if you haven't listened to the Howard Bihar episode, a district manager in Southern California came up with the idea of the Frappuccino because a competitor was selling something similar and there's a really cool uh, story within that podcast episode about how Howard and this district manager had to literally fight at the corporate level here in Seattle to get the Frappuccino to become a reality, which became a $4 billion a year um, source of revenue for Starbucks and was 20% of its revenue at one point. And, and that idea almost didn't happen, uh, but it did. It did because Howard recognized it was a good idea and fought for and it. And he allowed the ideas to come up. Yeah, right? he yeah. allowed the he, ideas yeah. to come. He didn't up. have all the answers. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, Jeff, I, I would love some wisdom from you because you know your uh, business. It seems to me um, is really dedicated to figuring out better, easier ways to make stuff that still honors the employee. So, from a structural standpoint, when we talk about the idea of the person who sweeps the floor should buy the broom, from from just a company structure standpoint, Jeff, how do you get to the place? of really getting the employees to feel comfortable and to actually have a structure where they can give their input and then make those a reality in terms of how you do business. Yeah, I think, I think the, the main way is to recognize that there's a, a really big gap between authority and the information needed to make decisions in most places. So uh, everywhere in our company you can look, we're just trying to close that gap and bring the authority to make decisions in line with our purpose or our values, as close as it can be to the information that's available. Uh, so you can kind of audit our, our business and go, oh, where's the authority? Where's the information? And one could audit and go, oh, okay, I can see it's, it's really close. Um, a lot of times uh, we would see uh, ideas, but 
the ideas, if they don't have the opportunity to implement them, the person doing that, uh, having the idea, doesn't get the opportunity to refine that idea or learn other ideas. So part of our structure is to say, hey, when you find something that bugs you, um, there's science behind that. Uh, so we can say, if it's bugging you, it's probably not profitable. Who cares? Um, but I kind of care. Uh, but not only we, we want you to pair with somebody to identify that problem, but we want you to pair with somebody to resolve that problem. So the problems aren't given to somebody else. The problems are that opportunity to grow somebody. So I think it really uh, is important when we're thinking about an organization, um, like a company or a church or whatever, is, is to really understand, hey, what are we trying to achieve? If it's all about building furniture, then the structure and the context and the tools should all be about really good you know, structure of a chair. Um, our, yeah, our, our current activities are much more around how to grow people and let the furniture be the teacher. So, yeah, so really, it really starts with what are we trying to achieve, um, even to the point of should cost my company exist? Does the world actually need uh, people who make pajamas for airplanes? Does the world actually need, you know, more furniture? And I can kind of say kind of yes, but maybe no. But the world definitely needs a place where people can come in and learn how to collaborate and how to work and how to, to become better versions of themselves. So if we didn't have that in mind, then a lot of these tools, I think, don't make sense. So it does take kind of the, the, the kind of purpose or mission to be connected then to that structure. And then it becomes kind of easy. You can just observe and say, okay, does a person have the knowledge to do the work? Do they know that they're responsible? Can they do the work? And if they do a great job, how soon will it be before they know? Or if there's a problem, can they fix it? Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's some tools that I think come along with that. But it really starts with knowing what you're trying to achieve. And then even a dog could come in and observe what we're doing. This is why telling, you know, telling servant leadership, it's about doing and uh, setting up a structure that just causes people to, to move that direction. Can I, I ask Jeff helps, something? But... I to yeah, me, I'm yeah, there. I got a question there because I have a feeling that society over the last hundred years has not allowed people to accept servant leadership because of this ego authority thing. Because what I run into mm. a lot is I'm giving you the like to the employees or to other people the power to give, let me know new ideas to help yourself. They're like, no, no, you tell me what to do, tell me what to do. I cannot come up with my own request. So is this a society thing that we're also challenging? Because sometimes, yes, yeah, servant leadership is a great thing to be a leader as, but at times I see it's not well received. Is it because of the way that people are, or is it just that this is weird because this is not how things are normally done? Why are you listening to me? You know, if you got that, um, what you said, the news leader coming in yelling and screaming at you all the time, then it's a normal day. But if they show up when they're not yelling, you're like, uh, what's going on? Yeah, I don't. I don't really think I have a viewpoint that is credible. Other than I can say, um, we have a variety of cultures at my company. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, but, but a little bit of experience. <laughs> um, so, what what we see is there are some cultures where speaking up might might get you killed, right? So we have, yeah. we have twelve languages spoken in our company. So that that background noise, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. what uh, is there. So we we really try to reach people where they're at. And some are really comfortable yeah. sharing ideas, and there's a process for that. Some of them are not comfortable, but they'll clap when somebody shares an idea. And that's also uh, a way to, to pave it. So I think the role of leadership is to take people where they are, love them where they're at, and accept whatever they're willing to give, but expect and encourage growth wh wherever they're, yeah. they're at. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Uh, so you might be able to tell I'm a white guy. So in America, that's not so great these days. Um, so I have really no, no real clear understanding of how I got where I'm at, um, and all the blessings that allowed me to be me. Uh, but, uh, I can definitely say that, uh, encouraging and having a culture where, uh, people can make decisions, uh, doesn't necessarily cause people to do it. In yeah. fact, many times we're like, do you know, you're sitting in a pile of dung and, and they know it and they're not doing anything with it. So there's something more. To, to do but that's part of our job is to discover that with them i really yeah. love how yeah. that was good thank you, you both brought that up because we we can talk about ego and we can talk about power but power without empowerment 
really just falls flat. That's just another poster in the kitchen. And Jeff, what you just said too, there, that there's cultural nuances and norms at play there. And sometimes the the empowerment is paying attention to what other people are paying attention to because there's um, systemic or historical reasons that people aren't putting their voice to something. And so there is an aspect of when you are in a leadership component, you are then empowered on behalf of others. And even having forums where people can submit feedback and ideas where they don't have to attach their name is a form of servant leadership too, because we don't always have the means, the privilege, or the ability to come forward with our voice for a a lot of different elements. So I think that servant leadership also plays into how does that get filtered and factored throughout the entire organization. Kristen, do you think it's harder to be a servant leader at a larger company? Jeff talked about, you know, Blake Nordstrom. Um, you know, we were talking about Howard Bihar, who was, you know, in charge of one of the biggest companies in the world. But do you think just inherently it's harder to to just be that servant leader as you rise the corporate ranks? Is there a greater expectation to just know what to do and tell people what to do. Well, so having worked at Amazon as one of the largest companies in the world, one of the elements that Jeff Bezos used to, he was another Nordstrom story where people would tell a lot of stories, but he would say for sure, but that that's where mechanisms come into place instead of just ideas and kind of cultural aspirations. And so one of the elements with uh, idea generation and decision-making at Amazon from the very early days was, um, putting them into papers. And I spoke to you a little bit about that, Mark, in in our conversation, but because it removed the speaker from the ideas that were being brought forward. So he called it the great equalizer. And he saw that very early on when he would have to remind people the best ideas aren't coming from the boxes at the top of the org chart. But he also understood there was that natural tension of well, if we're all sitting on the floor packing books into boxes, that must be the best way to do it. And he tells a story about in the early days, they were all sitting around a warehouse putting boxes into it. He looked at the guy next to him and said, maybe we should get those padded gardener things for our knees. And the guy just said as an offhand comment, or we could just get some tables and stand up. And he, he was like, I'm looking at this whole room of everybody on their knees because I am on my knees. And I think that's that empowerment, too, of being like, it kind of goes back to what am I not asking? Can we get some tables? So, yeah, I do. I do. That's think awesome. It's, I, I think it's just socialized in all of us. Yeah. Andre, I wanted to ask you something because you have you, you really inspired me when we talked, um, you know, for our episode that one of the things that you are really trying to do as as a leader in your company, your engineering company, is to really understand your employees because um, neurodiversity is something that is is becoming a lot more recognized now. And you really believe that the job of a boss really needs to be to truly understand their employees. Because if I have a neurodiverse employee and I don't understand that. I just think, why aren't you paying attention in these meetings? Or why aren't you showing up on time? Or why aren't you X, Y, Z? Talk a little bit more about that. Because in my mind, that is one of the definitions of servant leadership, is to truly understand uh, employees and, 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 and where they're coming from, right? And wanting to understand. And that's the other thing, too. But like in my, in my mind, neurodiverse, everyone's neurodiverse everyone's unique. Everyone has a unique way of doing things, of thinking. Maybe in a social norm, that's more of a normal, acceptable way of doing it within a wide parameter. And then you got the outliers, which we're called now as neurodiverse. Um, And it's great. We're having a conversation. But I've always seen at a young age, everyone's uniquely indifferent. Everyone uniquely reacts to things in different ways. And I, what makes you different? And I always try to figure out you so I can get you to make better use of yourself or use your strengths? Um, and how do you tick? And to try and group people, and that's why a lot of these personality tests when not used properly is we're boxing people in. You know, you're neurodiverse, you're ADHD, you're autistic, you're neurotypical. Those are boxes. But even within those boxes, we got different compartments, and every person is a compartment. Well, that's good. I got to remember that analogy. 
Um, that's a bit of the impulsive thinking there. Sorry. So, yeah, I f- try and learn how everyone works, what their strengths and what they enjoy doing, and try to get them to do that as often as possible. And I'm always open to ideas. And the one thing I tell my new team members is just because you're a year or two in the industry or a few weeks into the company, if you have an idea, speak it. It may not work. It might be a silly idea. But you know what? That silly idea might get us on a different track to come up with the right solution. So, and plus, if, I don't think there's ever a silly question. There's just as long as it makes sense and it's a valid question, it can dictate the direction and the speed of a solution. Because, like in the engineering world, any professional, we're stuck. You know, after five years, those professionals are stuck on one track, and there's only one way of doing it, even if there's a quicker way. So, we need to get derailed to get out of that track to come up with other solutions. And I and I say whoever it is, right? I, I don't care if the plumber comes up with a good structural idea to make something quicker, that's awesome, man. Thank you very much. You saved us two weeks of trouble. Let's go, right? But engineering, you're supposed – and if I don't know it, I say I don't know, and people's draws drop because an engineer says I don't know. I don't hide yeah. things. And, and like Chris and Jeff were talking about too, I think the other part of the servant leadership – authenticity because i think to be authentic you got to remove the ego you got to get yourself out of the way and be open to you know you may look like a fool i've been openly called out and say you don't know what you're talking about and i say pardon me explain and if they can explain properly you're right i don't know what i'm talking about thank you very much right okay so i don't look like a fool but i learned something new and that with my team it's okay we make a mistake we own up to it now so we can solve it for the client. So I want engineers to make mistakes here because we're trying something new. That's the way I see it. Yeah. But in the engineering world, we can't make mistakes or they can't make mistakes. So I think, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I, think it, I allow them the freedom that I've given myself to do as running my own company. You know, why am I the only one allowed to make mistakes and no one else is? I never thought that as hypocritical. So if you make a mistake, let's figure out what happened. Avoid it. Congratulations. We learned something new. Hmm. You talk about authenticity. That's one of uh, Howard Bihar's chapters in his book. It's not about the coffee and that is wear one hat. He found earlier in his career he was showing up differently in different settings in the boardroom and uh, on the floor of the the store. And and, uh, he just realized that was exhausting and that he just needed to be Howard. Um, Kristen, did you ever struggle with that earlier in your career when you when you sort of you had a title and you were expected to be a certain thing, um, did you wear different hats? Absolutely. I, I think that that's one of the, we talk about ego earlier, but you there's imposter syndrome that, that happens all across the board. That's probably the one thing that we all share in common, but don't share out loud. And that story that he told really stuck with me, especially when he said, I finally had to decide there was only one Howard, especially when he went back after he was called on, hey, you've changed. And the original person who told him that was like, nope, that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> I, was, I, I was telling you to conform. That's real. And I think for me, um, especially when I, when I came out to this global.com and landed in the tech landscape, which has its own machismo. And when I was elevated to a level pretty quickly, uh, a couple of things happened. I was only the 23rd woman at that level. And the fact that I knew what number I was, like that was on, that was in my head, but nobody else's. And so, and and Mark, I told you, I grew up in a military family. I was the youngest, the only girl. I, I, I didn't have an issue being around that energy, but when I then had a title that followed it, I started changing myself too. So we can't put everything on a culture. We're just trying to wear bigger shoes that don't always fit. And so it took it took some time for me to come back to what Howard said was just, just be one Howard. And a lot of that really has to be recognized when we start feeling inauthentic. I love how we brought that word up several times um, because the things that make us great on the way to making us human also make us not great. And so that really kind of leading forward and still being curious and a little just contradictory in meetings and or asking those silly questions as somebody said that was my superpower but i was trying to change my hat while i'm running down the hallway so it is something that Hmm. 
is very common for us to do and then to liberate ourselves from. And it's not always going to be rewarded. Jeff, did you ever have uh, trouble with different hats or did you always kind of have the Jeff hat on? Yeah, the trouble was I always wore my hat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I had somebody uh, who knew me in business and then they, they got around me at home and like, ah, I thought you'd be different at home, which was not a compliment. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of had the opportunity to decide a little bit about my identity early in life. And, uh, and I, I had some things that helped me, but one of them was just kind of, F the world. If, if God's okay with me and my wife's okay with me. Yeah. And it was, it was not okay, but, it, uh, so yeah, but it's a problem, but for different reasons. <laughs> it's a problem because it doesn't fit the social norm. That's okay. I'm, I'm yeah. okay with that. No, I know. I, I, I agree with that. I'm the same way. Uh, but just to go on Kristen, like, you know, authenticity almost to me is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's where the vulnerability is, is the weakness side. You know, it's not just being authentic, being the true Jeff, and there's one way, but, you know, we got to be open to our weaknesses to be truly authentic. Yeah. Is it just our weaknesses or our strengths, too? No, no, strengths, too. I just went more on the weaknesses. A lot of people say, I'm authentic, yeah. da, 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 but they're not dealing with their weaknesses. Like, to be truly yeah. authentic is open up your vulnerabilities at the same time, not just mm -hmm. being strong in a, a certain personality. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a boss who knows my weaknesses and you guys all know my boss, Dan Rogers. And we, we had a meeting one time and, and somebody floated an idea and said, yeah, Marco, could, why don't you do that? And Dan jumped right in and said, no, 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 that would, he, that Mark is not good at that. And that would waste Mark's time. And let's get somebody else to yeah. do that. And, and I was okay with that because he's the kind of boss that he doesn't want to waste anyone's time by getting them to do something that they're not good at. And somebody else on the team was way better at this kind of thing. And so I happily said, yeah, why don't we have Darcy do that? <laughs> and, uh, and it all worked out. Um, I want to kind of try to start wrapping things up. I just love what we've talked about so far. I think as, as we wrap things up, I'd love to hear from each of you just about some words of inspiration. I know, you know, Jeff, when we talked in, in our episode, you went through many years of business school and realized you had to come out of business school and unlearn almost everything that you learned. And, and uh, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that you wish you had learned in school, you didn't, and you learned it on the job. So I'd love, I'd love each of you to kind of give a summary statement of you know, what you think servant leadership is and what's your best advice to that person who says, man, I, I really want to be, I want to be that servant leader. I want to be that leader that when I'm gone, they say, man, Mark did this and Mark did that and he encouraged us to do that. So Jeff, why don't you start us out What and take as, take as much time as, as you want, but what, what's the key to what we're talking about here? Because I, I think you are, you've been living it for a long time, man. Yeah, we would have a different perspective on that. But uh, trying to, I'd say. Um, I think it really starts with others focused and, and actually not um, um, holding on to the idea that we are having a legacy. I actually don't care if I'm remembered. Um, so what I mean by that is if I plant seeds that grow um, and I never get to know that those seeds grow, um, am I actually okay with that? Because a, a true servant dies to self and, and washes feet and, and the sole focus is on that other person. So I think to be a servant, um, the, the, it's one thing. To be a leader, it means that we're going somewhere. So to put those two together, to me, is, is a servant leader. I think for me, the growth for me is really... Am I really others focused? Am I about them and their family, their community, their future? Does my name need to be attached to any part of their success? And I'm, I'm becoming more and more comfortable with being a seed planter. Of course, I love to see the plant grow. Of course, the, my own curiosity and my own desire to have feedback so that I know that I'm doing something worthwhile. Um, I, I do crave that also. But I'm, I'm trying to become much more comfortable with just loving people and hoping and, and striving to serve them well 
with zero expectation of return. Now, when we put servant leader in the business aspect, um, we are usually financed by somebody who's entrusted us with something. So the, to me, the big question then is, is it um, even morally or ethically right to be a servant leader when you're playing with other people's money? Boy, and yeah. I, I've come to believe that I've, I've come to believe that it is because um, the science lines up with human beings who are loved and respected and who um, are creative and creating value will create a lot more long-term profit. So I think uh, like when we think about this from a business context, uh, a business person who's really greedy should start with, uh, do I want people who are servant leaders? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, it should be just financially start there. And then if they care a little bit about profit for society, they should say, would that servant leader be profitable for society if that's what they care about? So to me, being a servant, being a leader, being a servant leader, it could be a friend, it could be whatever. But in the context of business, it, it needs to be the most profitable and not just money, but most profitable as decided by the money you're playing with. Um, so yeah, that's a lot there. But uh, um, others focused, if I had to say anything, others focused would be Stay there and don't worry about the rest. Love your neighbor. It works out. That's great. Thank you, Jeff. Andre, what about you? What, what, what's your best advice in terms of how to be that servant leader? Uh, for me, I've always wanted others, other people to succeed and them to take the credit for it with my help and support. I never want to be on stage with them. I always wanted them to be front and center. Um, and that's how I've always kind of done it. Like the one example is our company won an award. It's actually the majority of the team that did the work. I just came with a crazy commitment that we can do this impossible project. And they actually made my promise true. And we won the award. They wanted me to go on stage with them as the owner. And I pretended to get up from the table as we're walk they're walking up. And then I sat back down. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I wanted them to love get it. the credit, and everyone went to them afterwards to discuss how this impossible project was done. That's how I see it as one way. And there's a few other things, too, especially with the ADHD work I'm doing and the entrepreneurial group I kind of hang out with is they're talking about ADHD and neurodiversity more and more, and I don't get the credit for that because I know I initiated the, con the, the conversation, but I don't care. I just know I influenced it. And then what I'm starting to see now is the right people know it anyways. And so mm. to me, that just gave me context that I guess I've been more of a servant leader than I actually gave myself credit for. <laughs> so, and Jeff, I really like the comment you made to be a leader. You have, you, you need a place to go. Mm. And I think that's another thing that, I think that just differentiates people who think they're leaders, but they're not because there's no place to go. So thanks for that. Yeah. Appreciate the conversation a lot. Kristen, what about you? I was reflecting back on the story that Howard Bihar told in the book about writing notes to employees on their service anniversaries and their birthdays. And I've seen that in action and I had adopted that early on as well because um, not everybody's going to be able to get a promotion or a title or a bonus or have a voice in a room. But the one thing that everyone has in common is a birthday and a service anniversary. And finding the commonality that can be recognized because recognition is not universal or evenly distributed. And so my summary of that, what I took from that example was small efforts from you aren't always small to others. And he talked about how people would mention that later about getting that, getting that note from him. And so those small efforts that we take can really have lasting impact on feeling known, feeling seen. And if we want to talk about a world that feels inclusive, if not equitable, but at least inclusive, being seen is probably the most powerful thing that you can give another person. Um, and when I first became a parent, I was given this quote, and it still hangs in my home to this day, that just says, to the world you may be one person, but to one person you may be the world. And I can't think of a better summary for how we can all be of service to others and remember that the power we already have, and a lot of that comes from the small moments. Yeah, and it's interesting to think that Howard wrote, you know, 10,000 letters, notes a year to, to those employees. And, and you're right, Kristen. He said, 
Years later, people would come up and say, Howard, I still have that note. There was a guy, do you guys remember Phil Smart? I guess uh, Jeff Koth, Jeff might, and Kristen might. Phil Smart was uh, a really prominent car dealer uh, in Seattle uh, and philanthropist. Sure and uh, Phil was an amazing man. And uh, he would go to Children's Hospital uh, every week and spend time with terminally ill children, play games with them, read stories to them. And uh, he had this concept of the third eight you work for eight hours, you sleep for eight hours, what are you doing with your third eight? And he would always challenge people around him. But the thing that most impressed me about Phil mm. was that uh, we did a charity event together. I, and uh, I just emceed the event. It wasn't anything extraordinary. And he wrote me a full-page handwritten letter thanking me for for helping raise money for the cause. And I just thought, man, here's a guy who's amazingly powerful and busy and he took a moment to to write me a, a personal note and i still have the note that phil wrote and he's he's no longer with us but i think that's at the heart of it right you guys you know servant leadership is just as jeff said looking at other people and saying how can i help that person so this is yeah yeah and do it your way and do yeah. it your way. Just because he does that that way doesn't mm. mean that's the only way. It's got to be true to you. Because if you write letters because that's the way it's expected, yeah. people know that's not genuine. If yeah. you're not a, a letter writer, people know. <laughs> They'll know quickly. Right. Um, I, I, I really want to thank the three of you. And, and as we say goodbye, um, I, I would love to be able to tell people how they can get in touch with, with all of you, Jeff, as uh, you've, you've allowed thousands of people to tour your factory. But uh, Jeff, how, what's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? Um, yeah, email jeffkost at me.com. That's the easiest, me.com, yep. Okay, and if they're interested in a tour, that's probably yeah, a easy. good way to do that. There aren't too many with my name, so. <laughs> yeah, K A A S. There you go. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Andre, you've got a great podcast, The Impulsive Thinker. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, email or LinkedIn, Andre at tacticalbts.com uh, through the website or on LinkedIn. The Impulsive okay. Thinker helps. Awesome. And Kristen? Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn quite a bit. You can always find me there. And uh, my website is Unlock the Brain, and my podcast is Fewer Things Better. So Kristen at unlockthebrain.com. Um, I nerd in all sorts of places. <laughs> Turning the word nerd into a verb. I love it. <laughs> An attribute. Well, Kristen Graham, Andre Brisson, Jeff Koss, thank you so much. Um, you guys are just exceptional people, and I, I really appreciate your time and and especially your wisdom on this stuff because I think um, you, you're all helping us get to a better place, and I really appreciate that. I'm Mark Wright. Thanks for listening to Beats Working, part of the Work P2P family. New episodes drop every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Special thanks to show producer and web editor Tamar Medford. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from our Contributors Corner and Sidekick Sessions. Join us next week for another episode of Beats Working, where we are winning the game of work.